With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today, Bryce Simon is in the building. Bryce and I are going to dive deep into a number of different NBA topics. We're going to start with the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder are one of the best teams in the NBA, and we're wondering whether or not they can actually win the title this season way ahead of schedule from what everybody is expecting. They played an incredible game last night against the Boston Celtics that I want to talk to you about uh, in detail because holy, maybe, I don't know if it's the best played basketball game I've seen all year, but some of the ways that they got creative offensively against one another, some of the matchup stuff specifically that both those teams tried to exploit, I thought was awesome. And I thought it was so, so fun to watch. Uh, then we're going to talk about the Lakers. The Lakers are currently 17 and 17, despite the fact that LeBron James has played at a top 10 player in the NBA level. Anthony Davis, frankly, has played at a top 10 to 15 player in the NBA level. AD has only missed three or four games. LeBron, I think, has only missed three or four games. Austin Reeves has played every game and has been quite good after a five-game start to the season that was a little bit rough. What's going on there? It feels like this team should be hitting on all cylinders. We want to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the first impressions from OG Ananobi, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly in their new locations. I'm going to say from the jump here, so Raptors fans don't, you know, get it twisted. I'm going to have Samson Folk on on Friday, and we're going to talk a lot more about the Raptors overall direction. So if we give them a little bit of the short end of the stick when talking about that, that's why it's not that we're avoiding the Raptors. It's that I have a longer conversation forthcoming on Friday with Samson Folk uh, about their overall direction and what we're seeing from the team and everything. Finally, we're going to bring back NBA Draft Prospects of the Week for the first time with Bryce Simon. Bryce and I have been trying to find a way to integrate NBA Draft Talk back into the podcast a little bit. The reason that we haven't been talking draft as much is that, frankly, just fewer of you guys listen. When we talk NBA Draft, it's the reality of the situation. I think it's probably a matter of this NBA Draft not being quite as exciting and not having as much talent at the top as what we've seen in recent years. And while Bryce and I just love talking about the draft and we will continue to talk about the draft, we need to find ways to integrate it uh, in a more effective manner. And this seems like a more effective manner. We're going to talk about specifically Jared McCain. And within that, like we'll probably talk a little bit more about some of the other Duke prospects because whole buddy was Tyrese Proctor really, really good last night. I thought against Syracuse. Yep. Uh, Bryce, that's a three minute intro. I think that's that might be the longest I've done with you before since you've been on the show. What's going on, buddy? Ah, not much. No, it gave me a chance to take a couple sips of my coffee here. Uh, are you drinking coffee? What, what's in the mug there, Sam? Is it, you time it well, up perfectly? I drink tea. That's because, right. I think we've talked about this. Yeah, like I, I, I used to drink coffee by the bucket load, but then I got diagnosed with ADHD, and I can't mix the 
uh, like the medication for ADHD with caffeine because it like throws me way off in terms of everything. So yeah, I I would love to drink coffee. I, we have like a full fucking like espresso machine in our house because of how much I used to drink coffee. Uh, and I just like, can't, uh, can't really do it much anymore. No, that's right. So it's three 30 in the afternoon where I'm at. So I, I guess that what I was thinking was interesting there. We're both sharing a cup of coffee where it's in the morning for you in the afternoon for me, but <laughs> we're doing coffee and tea and I can't help. I, I know I brought up Ted Lasso the last time I recorded with you. I, I love this show. I'm in love with this show. And I also think it's hilarious how much he crushes tea throughout the entire series of how <laughs> awful tea is. It just, the only time I drink tea is when I'm sick, you know, is the old remedy that my mom would make me, you know, warm tea with honey or whatever. If I had a you know sore throat and stuff like that but in general not much of a tea drinker so i'm with ted lasso on that one have very much become a coffee drinker and that didn't start till covid um for whatever reason i started drinking coffee during covid and now i'm very much addicted so um but no i'm good i'm excited to talk nba this thunder conversation is going to be a blast i watched that game this morning and it was just i was blown away sga like i just found myself going Who is better than SGA right now in the NBA? Why is SGA not the MVP? Why do I not believe in him to carry a team to a championship? Why can Jalen Williams not be the number two on that team? Why can Chet not be the defensive anchor in the number three? All of the things we're going to dive into, I just watch and I'm just asking myself, why don't I believe all of these things? Because he's giving me every reason that I should. So, yeah, let's give like a brief little intro on the thunder and where they sit at this point they're 23 and 9 they're second in the west right now they have won i believe their last five games five five games within that stretch they've beaten the timberwolves by 23 they've beaten the nuggets by 26 and then they beat uh boston by four last night uh with knicks and nets wins interspersed in between all of those games they also recently beat the Clippers on December 21st uh, by about 20 points. And that was a game where Kawhi Leonard did not play uh, worth noting that as well. And then they beat the Grizzlies prior to that on December 18th. Uh, That was a pre John Morant game. However, they also beat the Denver Nuggets in Denver on December 16th. Uh, and that was a game where the Nuggets had their entire complement of starters outside of Kentavious Caldwell Pope. Uh, this team has absolutely been phenomenal. I love one note that you actually put in our note sheet here. They started 0-6 this season against top six teams within the Eastern and Western Conferences. And they're now 5-0 and since then. They've beaten the Nuggets twice, the Wolves, Clippers, and the Celtics. Uh, they've been fantastic. They they have been absolutely unbelievable this season. Their offense, I I think, is the prettiest thing to watch in the NBA right now, point blank. Uh, There is truly nothing better for me personally as like a basketball nerd, I guess, than just their overall offensive execution, their spacing, the way that they continue to have open driving lanes for Shea, the way that they continue to find uh, different creative ways to get their players involved. Uh, it is it is truly just a treat to watch the Oklahoma City Thunder right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the note I made in there. That's the top, current top six teams in each conference. And I just kind of stumbled up across that, to be honest with you, Sam. I was like, okay, 
if we're talking about this team winning a championship, how have they looked against the best teams in each conference? And I started going through it. And I was like, I need to add some specific context around it. And I decided on that one. And I was like, oh man, this isn't very good. This isn't very good. This stat's not going to go over well. And then it was five in a row, as you mentioned. And then their offense. I, I love listening to the broadcast. I actually used to not listen to broadcasts, but you pick up on a lot of things now. And Scalabrini, I listened to the Celtics one from Tuesday night's game, and he just immediately at the start of the game said, this Thunder team has great spacing and attack you off the dribble. You better be able to guard your guy because all five dudes on the floor for the Thunder, essentially at all times, even even the guys off the bench are going to be able to shoot it. They're going to be able to pass it and they're going to be able to attack you off the bounce. Even a guy like Isaiah Joe, who's known as a shooter, he will attack a closeout if you, and you have to close out hard. Cason Wallace can do it a little bit. Kenrich Williams is skilled. Jalen Williams, the other one is skilled. As you said, I don't know if it's the best offense in the league, but it's the most fun to watch. It's the most beautiful to watch in, in my opinion. So they're fifth in offensive rating right now. Aesthetically, I agree with you. I think they're the best offense in the league to watch at least. I think there are three things that I point to. And two of them are kind of connected, right? So the first one is just the way that the Thunder have built this team, right? They have built it. And if you look at what they've done since Mark Dagnall took over, They've tried to play five out. This is why they played guys like Darius Baisley, Isaiah Roby, currently still Kenrich Williams at the five throughout this build of their roster. It's because they knew that they wanted to play this way where they could play five out at all times. That is their goal. When they got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they understood that they had this truly elite driving weapon who is the best driver in the NBA, point blank. He is the best guy getting to the basket, getting paint touches. Uh, apologies to Ja Morant. I, I do think Shea is just a little bit slightly ahead of Ja at this point in terms of purely getting paint touches and finding creative angles to finish. Having the spacing around him, being able to have a center that can not just shoot, and this is where Chet just like completely unlocks things, but make plays with the ball, pass, do everything, That is what has completely unlocked this thing, in my opinion. And that's why Chet is a guy that like, genuinely I think should be in all-star conversations at least. I don't know if he should make the team necessarily, but it's the way he has transformed everything that they do on both offense and defense. Offensively, yeah, like when they had guys like Darius Baisley, Kenrich Williams, you know, whoever at the five, you had to guard those guys, but you could kind of chill out a little bit more like he it wasn't as important with chet he's like a genuine threat as a perimeter player who can break down guys off the bounce who can attack closeouts who can knock down threes who can really hurt you as a passer and playmaker i i really really think that that has unlocked their offense uh, in an unbelievable way. Lou Dort's improvement as a shooter, obviously, as well. He's still shooting, I think, like 42% from three this year. I'll pull off the numbers while we're talking. Uh, yeah, Lou Dort's at 41% from three still this year on like five attempts per game. Chet's a 40% three-point shooter, but we knew that. Jalen Williams hitting 43% from three. Like the, these dudes just absolutely can fire from three. And then, oh, by the way, none of those guys are the best shooter on the team because Isaiah Joe's going to come off the bench and he's going to flame throw from distance. And he is just one of, I think he's one of the most valuable bench players in the league, truly. Like his numbers will not 
say it. He's averaging nine points, two rebounds, one assist per game. The way that he, the way that they weaponize him as a shooter is so fun because what they do is they play Shea like through the whole first quarter, obviously. And then at some point they'll bring in like some of the bench guys and then they'll take Shea out and then they'll bring in like Chet and Jalen to run the show a little bit. They'll run sets where like they're spaced out really well. They'll have like a guy in the corner, Isaiah Joe, like kind of at one of the blocks and then like two guys on the weak side. And then they'll have Shea knowing that he can just get by anybody that they want. They won't even like run an action with Isaiah Joe. They'll have Shea just like dribble at Isaiah Joe and have Isaiah Joe lift. And it's just like, well, okay, our option here is either we use Isaiah's man to help on the drive because, again, Shea can just get by anybody, or we don't do that, and it's just a wide-open Shea layup, basically, because that's what happens. So it's the way that they operate, I think that they are so smart. I'll talk a little bit more about like Mark Dagnall and some of the other things that I think he's done really, really well, but that's a whole lot on their offense and we didn't even get to the best part of it. I kind of started with three things. Uh, the the craziest part of watching them is their transition offense. They yeah. they are, in my opinion, the best transition offense in the NBA. Uh, but Bryce, I'll, I'll, again, I'll stop and let you go here. No, I, mean, I think this speaks to how much fun this team is, is you just get on a roll and you want to continue to talk and then you talk yourself into another thing. Cause I wanted to bring up the Isaiah Joe stuff as well, because what's, I just love how creative Dagnall is with him because he'll run some like ghost things with him and Shea too. And you can't switch it because you probably have one of your worst defenders on Joe because they have Jalen Williams on the floor and other guys on the floor. So you put that guy on Joe because he's quote unquote just a shooter. So you can't switch those actions with him and Shea. So you have to, if you don't hedge and Shea gets downhill, like it's just really impressive. The numbers back up everything you said. They're first in the NBA in drives, points off drives, assists off drives because they shoot so well from three. Shea's first in the NBA in drives, points off drives, free throw attempts off drives. I thought the first three possessions of the Celtics game was very indicative of this team. SGA hits a mid-range over Derek White. Jalen Williams gets Derek White on him and goes strong, long, explosive drives to the rim and finishes. And then Chet gets the switch with Derek White on him and hits a mid-range fadeaway. This is not slight at Derek White. I think Derek White is incredible, is one of, hands down, the best guard defenders in the league. My point is, the Thunder are able to take their top three guys, all different type of players, and they were all able to go score on one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. When you have that, along with the shooting, Dort, Giddy have their own strengths here and there. Like It's just, it's so tough to guard them. They're really, really hard to guard. And I, again, I want to get back to the transition point because I think it's critical. All five of their guys can start the transition break yep. every single time. Uh, you know, Josh Giddy, like people will, you know, say whatever about Josh Giddy and, you know, until we know more about his off court situation. I don't really want to dive into it. I would like to know just way, way, way more about what's going on there. But he's been better recently. He was really good in the third quarter last night against Boston. I thought he was rough in the first half. To be honest, uh, he missed like a couple of bunnies. He missed a couple of threes. And then the Celtics, one of the things they did was they put Kristaps Porzingis on him 
to start the game. And every time that yeah. Kristaps and Giddy were out there, Kristaps was just guarding Giddy and staying in the paint. And that's something the teams have done a lot of to Oklahoma City recently. I think Houston with Shangun was the first team I saw do it uh, maybe about a month ago. And it took some adjusting for Oklahoma City to figure out how to handle that. Uh, Giddy over the course of his last few games has been quite good. Uh, in general, I think he had like 23 last night, something like that. But why he helps them, and people will talk a lot about, you know, whether or not Giddy is a long term fit for this roster. And I think those questions are valid, to be completely frank. Uh, he needs to be able to really shoot it and he needs to be better defensively, in my opinion. But why he's helpful to them is that they want to run every time. And he is a great rebounder that loves to run and make decisions on the fly and go. Like having that guy that can do that is valuable at the end of the day uh, within what the construct of their offense is. So I, I think that like having Giddy in their starting lineup is intriguing, at least uh, whether or not that's the best long-term fit. We'll see. It could be Kaysen, could be Isaiah Joe. Maybe you bring Giddy as the sixth man and you go that way. I don't know what they'll do long term. Maybe they move him. Who knows? But he's valuable for them right now on the court. Uh, is he the fifth best starter on the team? Yeah, probably. Is he? Do I think he's been like a little bit less effective than Isaiah Joe? Honestly, like I kind of do this year. But he helps them uh, in a real way. Uh, their transition attack is just ruthless. Uh, Shea's ability to get downhill and stay downhill. Uh, Giddy's ability to make decisions on the fly. Jalen Williams is a freight train. That dude is six, six with a seven foot two wingspan uh, and like all sorts of power. And then on top of it, you throw in Chet who is seven foot one and can grab and go on the break and create that way. It's, it's just laughable. Like, all of they just put so much pressure on you. They are constantly pressing you. They are constantly making you engage. That I think is what makes them so interesting. And this is where we can shift into the playoff conversation, because I think Boston did some things last night that you know showcased some of the issues with Oklahoma City. But why I think they've had relative success this season against Denver is that they really just press the issue and put you into a lot of difficult situations and they continue to relentlessly do that. Uh, teams like Minnesota teams like uh, Denver, those like half court execution teams, right? If you can just beat them down the court and you have the dudes to be able to do it consistently, I don't know. Like, I think that that piece of it is translatable to playoff success, even if they have other holes that teams will try to exploit. Well, and I think what Chet does in the transition game is he's a really good trail man from the three-point line as well. So that's guys trail. I mean, he could bring the ball up if you want him to. I get it or get out and run. But when he trails, that puts Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic, Kristaps Porzingis, all these different guys. And I know Porzingis wasn't even trying to get matched up with him. Like you said earlier, he was trying to guard Giddy, but whoever's matched up with him, usually a bigger guy that's going to try to protect the rim or whatever yeah. it is. Like you take that guy away from the rim, Sam, is what I'm trying to get at because you have to respect that from Chet. He is a good shooter. I was impressed with some of the attempts and the things he did, not like 
sprinting off screens, but it's not always just stand still, catch and shoot. He's able to move into these, get himself on balance. And then again, you can shot fake, attack a closeout, pass if he needs to. So it's just, it's one of those teams that's seems very well constructed in that way as we've talked about like these guys play off of each other really well and just in general I think they had a vision as you said at the top about a five-out offense and then they've acquired the players to do it I also want to ask you about their defense a little bit because I immediately the start of that game go man they really have everything they need to match up with this Celtics team they have you know Williams to guard they have Dort to guard Giddy's bigger and I'm like even if they played against a bigger team, Jalen Williams is a stout dude. So I don't know that they run into a lot of trouble against like quote unquote two big teams. And then Chet is so good defensively as well. Jalen Williams had a defensive possession in that game against Boston where I swear to God, I think he guarded six guys. Like it was in transition. He like kind of stumbled and like he got matched on to like Tatum and then like they switched it on to drew and he forced a missed shot from drew oklahoma city gave up the rebound and that's again something we're leading to uh goes back out to drew runs an action switches it again and then like pass goes around the horn they kind of stumble and then williams like flies out in like a scramble rotation out to like contest and i was like blown away i was like holy shit this guy is every single place I think he's been fantastic on defense. I think Chet has obviously been fantastic on defense just in terms of his positioning, in terms of the rim protection that he brings them consistently every single night. Shea is the guy that's like really taken a leap here defensively. Like that's for me at least why I have him ahead of Luca right now for MVP and why I think he is like a very live MVP choice right now. Uh, he he genuinely should be in that conversation. Uh, I don't know if I would take him over Embiid. Embiid is like breaking worlds, and at some point say, we have to talk about Philly it's again. Probably second, like, right? Like that, I could get him all the way to second. I had a hard time getting him over Embiid right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like Jokic, Jokic is, is great Jokic, yeah, and has been unbelievable this season. I would find it really, really hard to put somebody over Jokic. I sure. find it so hard to put like Embiid over Jokic. Um, I think I would have it one, two, three right now with sure. um, Embiid, Jokic, Shea, but I'm willing to hear this out as we get 10 more games into the season before yep. I have to do midseason MVP choices. Uh, yeah, Shea is just sick. He's so, so sick on so the court. Good. Like, the deceleration is absurd. The footwork is absurd. Um, like, just completely attacks the rim at will. He's gotten so much better as a live dribble passer off of both hands. Like, he threw a semi-transition left-hand, like, live dribble, like, hook pass across, like, you know, on a drive to like the cross wing, like driving left to the right wing. And I was like, whoa, like this is, this is stuff like you've been able to do for like the last year and a half, but like continuing to add it on is just absolutely sick. They, they're the, the way that he has layered things into his game. If you told me within the next two years, that Shea is the best player on planet Earth, I would buy that. Yeah, I mean, 
what I love about it, and this is nothing against people whose game is a little more flashy and have the highlight dunks. Like I'm not taking shots at anybody. I love watching those guys as well. But I, I, I you don't see that from Shea, right? Like you don't. He doesn't end up on Sports Center with just crazy poster dunks. He doesn't shoot a ton of threes, but he's just so smooth. It's so much fun to watch the start stop the deceleration, as you mentioned. And then he has all the little nuance. He has good footwork. The first play of that game, I think he gave the little chicken chicken wing to get into his mid-post pull-up over Derek White. His mid-post game in general is insane. Like, just throw it to him in the mid-post, and the mid-post isolation is so good. Again, that was one of the best defensive, that is the best defensive backcourt in the NBA, and he still went crazy. He also has the single hand scoop finishes around the rim. It just, it, it he makes it look so easy. It's really enjoyable to watch. Like you said, he passes the ball well. Also, and the defense has come around. Like, I still think at times he plays a little bit for the steal as opposed to just being yeah. solid. I think that's a fair nitpick of his game if we want to like get into it. But he's obviously finding ways to be impactful on that end of the floor as well. Yeah, and T in the YouTube comments brings up, why not now be the best player in the world? What is What doesn't he have now? Why in two years? I mean, the problem is just that Nikola Jokic exists. Exists. And, <laughs> like, it's, it's Nikola so Jokic is healthy good. and alive and playing NBA basketball right now. Yeah, like if you, and if you told me that like Shea goes into a series against Jokic and beats him, that's like very plausible to me. Agreed. And at that point, I'm good with like a like I'm very into a conversation like from that moment on about Shea as like the best player in the world. Until we get there, I think we have to say Jokic. But if you told me in six months that they win the title, again, I, I'm good with that conversation. Like I, I really would be at that point. Uh, Shea to me, like people will bring up like Anthony Edwards as the heir apparent to Michael Jordan. Uh, possibly because like their facial structure is like somewhat similar. Uh, I think it's more Shay. Like when when I watch Shay, I'm like, this dude just lives in the paint. Obviously, it's like stylistically different. He's not as explosive vertically as what Jordan was, and there there are a number of different things that are different. But like ability to live in the paint, the sick, disgusting mid range game, like all of it he is the one that like reminds me most of like the Kobe Jordan archetype around the league right now. And I'm not saying he's going to be Jordan. I'm not saying that like, he's going to be the best player, second best player, whatever you want to call Jordan to ever play the game. But like just stylistically the way that he plays, that's that that's the guy for me right now is Shea. Um, the, the last thing here is we need to talk about the weaknesses before we move into like, can they actually do this? The weakness for me is just like size and rebounding. Yeah. rebounding. I mean, my goodness, they they really struggle on the glass. That that's been a factor kind of all year. They're seventeenth in, or no, they are. Um, that that they're not seventeenth. Hold on, they are twenty uh, ninth in defensive rebounding rate and twenty eighth in offensive rebounding rate. They just don't play very big. Uh, when Chet's on the court, I think they're fine. When you have all of like Chet and Giddy and Shay and, you know, J-Dub and like everybody on the court, like you make it work because they're just all so big and so long. When you take Chet off, it really kind of falls apart on that end in terms of the rebounding. Like Kenrich Williams was like a historic rebounder at uh, TCU. He was unbelievably good 
and he fights and he is like, I, I love Kenrich Williams as a basketball player, but he's just small. Like he just is. And they, they I think, especially to go into a seven game series against Denver, somebody like that, they need somebody with some real size. I think like that to me, like forget like the superstar move, forget any of that shit. Like, just go make a trade for like a real center with size who can go rebound. And if you do that, that, that I think is why, you know, looking at the team in your background right now, the Detroit Pistons, that is why I think earlier this season, we heard the rumor about like Oklahoma city, you know, having interest in Isaiah Stewart, if he was to come available. So Stewart makes some sense in terms of like, he doesn't attack off the bounce as well as any of these guys he wouldn't fit that mold but I think he is shooting just under 40 percent on like three and a half a game like that part of his game has come around and he is a guy that playing at the five and he can protect the rim a little bit he's switchable a little bit he'll rebound the ball so he does make sense I'm glad you brought this up because I'm also out on a big move I think I brought up Larry Markin in the other day knowing like I know you and you immediately said Lowry's not on the mark I've completely like I don't think they should go try to get anything else. You got to find you got to find out what these guys cuz these 3 may be your three best players on a championship team. And and I want to yeah. find that out this year and see what they can do. And even if they don't do it, that doesn't mean they aren't the three guys. But there's a real chance they are maybe as soon as this year. So I think it's what's the tertiary moves? Do you need another wing off the bench or do you need a big? I think what you have to be careful of you can't just go get a 7-1 guy who protects the rim and rebounds, Sam, because then that completely takes away everything else you do offensively. Correct. I think you have to make sure that it's a guy that fits this vision. And there's Presti so smart, they won't make them this mistake. Just as we're hashing this out, the comments, everybody listening, I don't think you can pinpoint anybody that can't dribble past shoots. And so that's why like even a guy like Isaiah Stewart, I don't know that he fits great because the dribble and pass thing hasn't really come around offensively for him right now. Honestly, I hadn't really thought of this until now. A name that makes a lot of sense for them is Kelly Olenek. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Like I've been kind of thinking of like a counterweight to Chet almost more than anything. But Kelly Olynyk fits like everything that they do in terms of dribble, pass, shoot, has like size, can grab and go on the break. That's actually like really probably the name that makes like all of the sense in the world for them. And they have the like Davis Bertans deal to do like an expiring in one of these. First. Like if they moved, so they have like the 24th overall pick currently this year. They have the, um, Clippers pick right now. If they move that pick for Kelly Olynyk and like Bertans, like that makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, I don't, he doesn't add like a ton defensively, but Kelly O's is a really good player. What do you think about before we move on? And if you have some other names, I, I understand. I was going through it today, and I'm like, what about another wing? Like, what if? And I know we're yeah. playing hypothetical here. What if Giddy does really struggle? What if Dort hits a really cold stretch? This oh, be- and and the Giddy thing is going to be real in the playoffs. Like I, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm not saying it's not going to work. Teams are going to really let him go and force him to shoot and prove that he can shoot. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. Like they, they need a real counter to him, and, and, like- and the counter with size, I think too. 
Cason Wallace is really good and pl- can play bigger than what he is because he's so strong. But again, he's a rookie who's played admirably, played great. Yeah. This is not Cason Wallace slight. Like my fear for the Thunder is they get into the playoffs and these three guys are one, two, and three on like an almost championship level team, but you don't have you almost miss out on it doing it this year because you don't have the depth that you would need. So I'm okay going in on that. So I was trying to think of wingy guys that maybe could come in and help. Like a name that popped up, I don't know if this makes sense, but Gordon Hayward is a guy that can dribble past shoot and would be on an expiring deal. I don't know that's a great fit, but he was a name that popped into my head that could be on the move. Like does Jay Sean Tate shoot it well enough to bring him in? Too small to me. Too small. Gordon Hayward yeah. as well. You don't think he's quite big enough? Gordon's a little bit bigger. Like Gordon's like six yeah. seven, six eight, something like that. I think I'd want somebody that's like a little bit more physical. Maybe? Okay, that's fair. No, no, I agree with that. Okay, like so, something like that. Like like Dorian Finney Smith. Like isn't okay. an incredible rebounder, yep. but he's like pretty physical. Like sure. in the way that he goes about it. I don't know if they would want like a longer term signed guy though like again that's why like the Olympic thing like makes all the sense in the world to me like he's just signed through the end of the year um like a bigger wing like brooklyn has a lot of these guys so like someone said uh hayward uh the money that was something that popped into my head right away as well because you don't want to give up any real rotational guys to to do this so yeah shout out callan barber for that um the yeah people brought up wendell carter i've seen that before the other interesting thing with the nets is like so nick claxton is a free agent at the end of the year and like jock vaughn just like came out and said that like you know they're gonna play like the guys who bring like physicality and like rebounding and shit like this and like they on sharp has like probably done that a little bit more um, Dayron Sharp's been good this year. This, I'm not trying yeah, to Dayron, say this is right, but I'm just saying like Dayron has been really good this year. Like what what if you took a flyer on like Nick Claxton and like yeah. you gave up like a first thinking that like Brooklyn just isn't going to retain Nick and like you're just like giving up a first to do it. And that's and, like, uh, have him that's an for, expiring. Like, I'm not familiar up to date. Yeah, he's Claxton. expiring. Yeah, he's, he's, expiring. A, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Um yeah, Reed Williams brings up reports. Mikhail Bridges is not on the table, but what if you offer Case and Giddy and just like crazy picks? I mean, if they got they got Mikhail Bridges, like that's the absolute like perfect fit for everything that they do. It's the perfect fit for like he he fits them so strongly across the board. But I, I think that the first point of that is the critical part. I, I have not heard anything that makes me believe that Mikhail Bridges is like genuinely available at this point to me though it's a smaller deal it's not a bigger deal i i agree like i think that's a really interesting idea and i think you're right i still have just talked myself into i don't want to bring in another number two or potential number three guy i I think i really want to see is shay a top three dude in the nba in the playoffs can jalen williams do in the playoffs what he does in every one of these games which is be the guy when sga sits and be awesome defensively can chet do all of those things and they may not do it this year because they're all so young but can you see that okay they're definitely on this path i think it would almost be a mistake not to get those answers like i i think i want to know those answers and so i would just try to make sure i have the things around the edges to give them the best possible scenario and situation to show that 
Okay, final question here. This is the question that's in the title. Can Oklahoma City win the title in 2024? I mean, the answer is yes, but it still goes against, I think my guy YouTube user said it earlier, it goes against my philosophy. And my philosophy is probably BS. Like, nobody should subscribe to it. But it just seems like, it just seems like this isn't what happens. It doesn't seem like a team this young that hasn't got there into the playoffs, felt the heartbreak, felt the, you know, the loss, learn from it, grow from it, and then come back the next year. That just seems like the natural, natural, excuse me, progression of how these things work. Does that mean it's the end all be all and they can't? Sure. It just seems like that's what it usually is. So my counter to that argument would be that this team is competitive as shit. Shea actually has like playoff experience. Sure. Yeah, like J-Dub, Giddy, you know, Chet, those guys don't yet. But the the key guy there, like they, they he's got like some juice. And like he's got like real experience there. They have a top, you know, three player in the league, in my opinion, right now. They have another all-star and or all-star quality, whatever you want to call chat. They I think that like they will need J Dub to take another small step forward not a big one just like a, cons- a consistency step as much as anything because like his flashes are as good as you will see league-wide really uh from like younger wings i think they need to go out and make a move for another bigger body that can handle the rebounding issue and that can match up with Jokic, frankly in half court more half court centric battles but if they do that, I think that they can win the title. Yes, I think that's where I'm at. They have they have the pieces to win the title. I mean, look, here's the other thing about the playoffs, and like we can talk about like you know FIBA basketball and what it means and all that shit. But like when I watched Shea this summer at the World Cup, I was like, that dude is ready to do this in the biggest stage. There was nothing about him that made me think that he is not ready to be that guy. So the, the experience thing, like I get it, that that team we've talked about it before. I went back cause I was trying to find something else and listen to something we talked about when we did the first rookies podcast uh, about Chet and Kaysen. These dudes are competitive as are. fuck. Like <laughs> it's who they are. It's how they battle. It's how they scratch and claw. Like these dudes are tough. They're competitive. They're, physical like they want to play that way they play a playoff style of basketball i think already um yeah i I think that they can i think they can win it do i think like i would have them as my favorite i would still have denver ahead of them if i'm being honest um again i just trust joker until proven otherwise uh again i think milwaukee is like coming on strong i think boston was fantastic last night and is like in the mix. I think Minnesota has a shot for sure. Like you, you can point to all of these separate teams, right? But if I had to make a top five right now, Oklahoma city would be in the top five. I think it's, and listen, I believe in Shea, I think just as much as you. And again, I don't want this to come off as slight, but it's like, is Jalen Williams going to be this good in the playoffs? Is Chet in his first year playing in the NBA going to be able to do what he's doing right now in the regular season in the playoffs? 
what are Lou Dort and Josh Giddy going to be in the playoffs? And if they're not, are Isaiah Joe and Kaysen Wallace the answer to them not being able to do it? So every team has questions, right? We, we've, we've done this with every single title contender. I think this is the yeah. ultimate sign of respect to them, Sam that we're critiquing them in the same way that we have the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Denver Nuggets, everybody else. I think that speaks to right. how good they are. I just, and it, it comes down to matchups as well, right? Like we're talking about size. What if they match up with the Timberwolves and the Wolves just crush them on the boards for the entire, now there's other matchups, right? That go in the Thunder's favor. And then, then they're going to out on them in transition, right? It, exactly. Like that that'd be a great series. Like I'm all for yeah. it. I don't know yes. what would happen there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'd be fantastic. But yes, it would. Yeah, you know, I I I think I'm in a really really I, I'm in a place where I think they can win the title sure. this year. Uh, and it's just with small moves, not bigger moves. And, and look, you again, you know this. This is what I've been talking about on the show for a while. I think they have like the three stars that they need. I thought the Giddy was like going to take a step this year, and that hasn't happened. But I think they have the core that they need, like in a big, big way to win the title. Uh, okay, let's take one quick break and we will be back. And I want to talk about something that got dropped in the comments a little bit ago. Okay, we're back. And a few people in the comments have asked me about Wendell Carter. And this can lead into something I wanted to talk about maybe at the end, but uh, we can talk about it and transition from Oklahoma City to that. Uh, a bunch of people have said, like, quite like the fit of Wendell Carter uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, would love Carter in OKC. Like, there are quite a few of those comments, and it's reasonable. Like, he's a guy that big physical body, good defensive positioning, can shoot. Uh, th there's a lot there that would be a fit with Oklahoma City. Sh sure, like it makes sense to me. Like I'm I'm for Wendell Carter as a name. Like you'd have no problem with Wendell Carter as a name in Oklahoma City, right, Bryce? No, that's fine. So if it opens up minutes for Batazzi. That's what I wanted to talk about. So a couple people have asked me recently, uh, Armin Sharagon, uh, Shara, Shara John asked me, uh, hey, you mentioned on a podcast, you had an opinion on the Magic Center rotation that would break the internet being a Magic fan. Could you say what it was? You have me on pins and needles. Uh, <laughs> this is probably like three weeks ago, four weeks ago or so. M my take was not only do I think that like Goga Batadze makes them like a better team right now because of his rim protection. I think that Batadze's level that he was at for those first like 20, 23, whatever games of the season is higher than the level I've seen from Carter at any point in Orlando purely because of the defense. I get it. Like, trust me, like Wendell Carter is a guy that I've loved for a long time. I get it that Wendell Carter averaged like 15 and 10 over the course of the last couple of years and, you know, would occasionally make threes and everything. I think that people were not recognizing how good Batadze was specifically on defense. Like, I think that Batadze was probably one of like the 12 or so best defensive players in the league at that point in the season. Uh, and for as much as I love Wendell Carter, I think that that level that he was bringing was 
along with, you know, Jalen Suggs being like the best guard defender through the first quarter of the season and Jonathan Isaac playing like 15 minutes a night and just like wrecking worlds and wreaking havoc defensively. I thought that like, you know, among other things, he was as much as anything, kind of the linchpin for how that defense was working along with Suggs. So I think Batadze has been like incredible this season. Yeah, I mean, every game I watch when he was starting, I just continue to put in my notes how good he's been, how good he's been. And if I'm not mistaken, he did move back into the starting lineup last night and they brought Wendell Carter Jr. off the bench, I believe. I, I didn't watch the game, and you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest here. I haven't watched that one, but I believe that was the case in the game last night. It's been a couple of games for what a couple of games. So yeah. I, I I don't know. Like, listen, I, I assume this is where you were going with it. I really, really like Batazzi. And then I think Mo Wagner has played really well off the bench as well. Like to me, there's just no, it makes no sense to have all three of those guys. Cause I don't know that you can really play any of them together for long stretches anyway. You know, Wendell Carter Jr. is actually on a, a pretty decent contract. Just looking, you know, that yeah. up here. It, it's, it's, an, it's an unbelievable contract. Yeah, it's not it's, just like a, yeah it's decreasing and it's starting this year at 13 and it's at like just under 11 in 25, 26. Bataze is an unrestricted free agent. And then Mo Wagner is a, he has one more year on his. So they have all these but, dudes. But like, for, but, but like, here, here's the thing with Mo, like they have yeah, bronze yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And look, this, like if some team's going to offer Mo like a starting spot, like I'm sure that would be a thing where like he'd consider going, but like, I, I would think that like there, there's a lot of happiness there in terms yeah. of like Mo being like the long-term backup center there. Yeah. So, the, I mean, at the end of the day though, you're going to, you have three guys on really good contracts, three quality centers, but I don't think it makes sense to have all three of them. So that's why every time we talk about a team needing a center, I always brought up the magic. I brought yeah. up Bataze. I, I, I assume Wendell Carter probably would get more in a trade just based off reputation. I think he would get more in a trade. Yeah. Um, plus, like, Batadze is expiring. Is like a big yeah, yeah. Why, obviously, in Carter. Again, like, seriously, Carter might be on, like, one of the best contracts in the NBA right yeah. now uh, among non-rookie-scale uh, rookie. players. Yeah. Uh, th- the problem for the Magic is that, again, Batadze is unrestricted. Unrestricted. I believe that they can't extend him because I think he signed a two-year contract, if I remember correctly. So can you really feel comfortable that your center position is taken care of if you move Carter and then like you might have to overpay for Batadze at that point and then like it just gets complicated. It yeah. gets really, really complicated. I think they kind of have to rock with it until they know what's going to happen with Batadze this summer. I would probably Unless like I got like a crazy crazy offer, I would probably keep Batadze. I or keep Carter and Batadze. Yeah, and then figure it out. And, once like you I can't imagine out. that Mo is going anywhere yeah. either because Franz is about to be a max guy there. I mean that makes sense. You re-sign Batadze. You know you have him locked up. If somebody comes in and tries to offer him something you're not comfortable with, then you go back to Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo, and you feel good about it. Or you sign Batadze if uh, at a number you like, and then you can make the decision from there. Yeah, like even if Wendell Carter like does not totally bounce back this year, right? 
he's still going to be a guy hitting free agency at 25 with two exceptionally cheap years left who for the prior two seasons of this one averaged 15 points, 9.6 rebounds, two and a half assists shooting 53, 34, 72 from the line while playing like effective positional defense. Yep. Uh, th- that guy's still going to have like a lot of value on the trade market. So yeah. I-, I would, I think keep them. It doesn't sound intuitive right now, but I think I would keep them all at yeah. this point. No, that makes sense. And again, like I sometimes hate when we do this, where it's like we love Bataze and all, and the, it makes it sound like we don't think Wendell Carter Jr. is any good. I don't think either of us believe that. It's just no, they're, they're both starting caliber centers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and Mo, Mo Wagner, by the way, has been like one of the better bench bigs in the NBA Absolutely. this season too. Like. Like you would go Nas Reed, Hartenstein when he was coming off the bench, and then Mo is right in that next tier of guys. Yeah, like 100%. Like I I think Mo has been really, really effective. He's averaging 11 points on 60% from the field right now, 4.4 rebounds, uh, playing like 18 to 20 minutes a night. He's been really, really good. Yeah, he's been really, really, really good this season. Uh, Okay. Let's go to the Lakers. The Lakers are currently 17 and 17. Uh, on its face, that doesn't seem disastrous, but they're currently 10th in the Western Conference. They've played 34 games, obviously. Anthony Davis has played 32 of those games. LeBron has played 31 of those games. Austin Reeves has played all 34 of those games. D'Angelo Russell has only missed two games. So the guys that were expected to be the top you know, four rotation guys, this year all have very, very rarely, let's say missed time. Right. And they are still sitting here at 17 and 17. If you would have told me that in the preseason, if you would have told me that LeBron plays all but three games in the first third of the season, AD plays all but two games in the first third of the season, I would have said this team is 22 and 12, probably something like that. But they're not, and they are really, really struggling uh, to get anything going on offense. It feels like every single damn time I watch them, but they've lost seven of nine games. They actually got it to 15 and 10 at one point, and now they've lost seven of nine. And over that time, they are both in the bottom 10 in offense and in defense as well. And like the schedule wasn't easy. Don't get me wrong, Uh, but I, I'm surprised that the Lakers are having this many issues, I, I guess, with how healthy they've been so far. What, what are your thoughts on the Lakers? No, I mean, I think that's, you know, LeBron, as you said, has played 31 games and is playing extremely well. He is so good. I don't think we can understate that. He's shooting 50, 40, 75, seven rebounds, seven and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists. AD is awesome. He's really, really good defensively, like dominates at times on that end of the floor, almost three blocks a game. I, I think Torian Prince, like you're getting about as much as you could expect from a guy like Torian Prince right now at 10 points a game over 40% from three. I don't, I don't know. The, the starting lineup thing is really weird to me right now with what they've done there. I don't know if that was like LeBron wants to be the the, the point guard, which I mean he kind of does anyway. But you could still have somebody like Austin Reeves in that lineup, even if Bron 
does handle the ball because Reeves can play off the ball and shoot it. And so I thought that was weird. You know, they moved Reeves to the bench when he was struggling a little bit and he's played really well since. And I don't know if those things go hand in hand or not, but it was kind of like Reeves and D'Lo didn't make sense playing together. Well, now you've since moved D'Lo to the bench also where now they're having to play together again, although D'Lo is hurt and missing some games. I think the move has to be you move Reeves back into the starting lineup I don't know. Probably Cam Reddish has run his course in the starting lineup, in my opinion. I I, Listen, maybe I'm just too big of an Austin Reeves fan. I think you just have to let him do what you let him do in the playoffs. He's he's clearly their best guard. Yeah, like... I'm sorry to, like, the D'Angelo Russell uh, supporters that are very strong in Legion, but Reeves is their best guard like he moves yes. the ball more consistently he is a very very real knockdown shooter uh his driving ability he's able to put pressure on the rim i think a little bit better than d'angelo russell is at this point uh he's just kind of a better player and i don't even think delo has been that bad on offense this sure. season to be clear uh he's been fine but like austin reeves is their best guard like when i watch them i'm just like this is like very very obvious and the problem is i'm glad that you brought that up i think there is like overlap in the style kind of that Reeves and Russell prefer to play. They're both like kind of combo guardy. They're very different players, but there's like real overlap that like neither of them are point guards. Really Austin can sort of run the show. D'Angelo can sort of run the show, but D'Angelo's always been way better as like an off ball scorer who like doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting everybody involved and making sure that, Things are running smoothly. Like we saw that, you know, that's what I brought up in the trade with the Timberwolves last year. Um, Yeah, it's, it it feels like to me, the easy solution here is just bringing Reeves back into the starting lineup. He's actually like a good basketball player. Hot take, Uh, good basketball players playing them more minutes is good. And he's playing minutes. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, Starting a lineup, which was in their game against the Pelicans, of LeBron, Torian Prince, Jared Vanderbilt, Rui Achimura, Anthony Davis, that's like malpractice in today's NBA. Like that that's like that's like Monty Williams Pistons level, like spacing malpractice how are the honestly catch you to stray on this episode the losing streak is over the pistons talk is done for months truly it it might be worse because like the pistons like don't have a lot of great options as shooters uh the the lakers have austin reeves like just start the guy he's better these dudes. I, I, I remember when I saw the tweet that Vanderbilt, or excuse me, that D'Lo was going to the bench, and I was like, oh, Austin Reeves back into the starting lineup. This makes sense. They put him on the bench for a little while. He started playing well. Now they're going to reward him, put him in the starting lineup. And then I continued to read the tweet or whatever it was, and it's, oh, Jared Vanderbilt. And nothing against Jared Vanderbilt, but I'm just like, wait, what? Like, what are we, what are they doing there? And so, and listen, so people in the comments have brought Austin Reeves does need to get better defensively. I think he would admit that and say that too, that, you know, at times he's got to be a little more engaged and he can improve there also. But at the end of the day, they need what he does really well. And I think he can score the ball. I think he can distribute the ball. And as you said, like sometimes it's as simple as he is a very good basketball player. When they were, you know, LeBron, AD, no question, one, two. There's no question, undoubt. 
But Reeves was so huge in that playoff run. I just kind of assumed yeah. we'd come back and Reeves would continue to be in that role this season. And it just doesn't seem like they've really entrusted that in him as much as I think they should. So here'd be my question for you. The minutes with LeBron. Austin Reeves and LeBron this year have played 607 minutes together. They are currently a negative... 0.6 in those minutes, 115.6 offensive rating, 116.1 defensive rating. In the minutes where LeBron is on and Austin Reeves is off, they beat teams by almost eight points okay. per 100 possessions. Uh, I, I have the numbers in front of me and I can kind of tell you why I think that's the case. But why do you think that's the case uh having like watched the tape and like what what you think is happening with lebron off and austin on they're actually basically why are the lakers not having success with reeves on the court is kind of my question well i don't know that they use him the way i would want to use him anyway i don't think they like put the ball in his hands and let him attack and run the ball screen and roll with him and ad or him and lebron so i don't even know that he's getting to do what he does best a lot of times like sometimes it seems like he's out there just getting in conditioning in those situations like that was one thing i thought was a silver lining when they did move him to the bench was okay well at least he's going to get to cook and really handle the ball and do things in those situations where where was it worse? What's what's the big gap there? Do they get considerably better offensively or defensively whenever Reeves is off and LeBron's on by himself? Yeah, it's both defense and okay. offense. Interesting, uh, it's better. But like so, like AD and LeBron um, with Austin Reeves are minus three point one. Interesting. Uh, AD and LeBron without Reeves are plus nine point eight. Wow. And look, these are like smaller samples, like what's going on here. Like these are all like weird things. I, I just kind of ask you like what we think is happening here to make that a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know that I have anything that stands out. If you just told me it was a defensive thing, as I said earlier, I do think yeah. Reeves has, you know, and I think the last couple of games he has grown with it and he's shown a little bit more intensity on that end of the floor. And I think he'll continue to do that. But that would have been what I pinpointed. But it sounds like offensively, it's not as good as what I would give it credit for, which is interesting. Yeah. So I think a big reason. So the reason that I bring this up, you know, in some respect is just like general shooting variance seems sure. to be hitting them. Uh, when Austin, AD, and LeBron are on together, the Lakers are shooting 32.6% from three. Uh, when AD and LeBron are on together without Austin, they are shooting 39.8% from three. And like, there's not really a reason for that. Like you would actually think it's the opposite because like Austin is like driving and kicking yeah. and he's a great shooter himself. He's typically coming in for questionable shooters. I think some of this is like shooting variance is a very real piece of it. Additionally, like you look at the like opponent three point field goal percentage, like, yeah, like opponents shoot better when Austin is off the court from three uh, versus when he's on the court. Like it, it's the whole thing is like pretty bizarre. It's like small sample size theater in so many ways. Additionally, teams from two point range are shooting 55.6% with uh, Austin Reeves, AD and LeBron on the court. And they're shooting 49.4% from two point range when it's just AD and LeBron. 
Austin, I think, does play a role in that just in terms of like giving up drives from time to time. Sure. But like that's an enormous gap that like he can't make up on his own. Yeah, I mean, I think somebody was shooting some defensive rating stuff at us the other day, and it was from a very small sample. And I'm like, I don't love defensive metrics in general. I think it's truly one of those things, and I'll use them from time to time. But you have to have a large sample, and usually it's just team stuff for defensive rating and points per possession given up and those type of things. It's just such a hard thing, especially on the defensive end, to quantify what an individual player does. And like you said, when you're in smaller samples, less minutes, those type of things, there's so much variance in shooting and those type of things. You know, when did those minutes happen at, you know, end of games, those type of things. So it's really, really hard to always use those things, even on off. Sometimes I'm like, man, there's lots of times I'll look like that doesn't make sense. Like based off what the eye tells me, but it's still there. This isn't a like shot at analytics. I think analytics are super important. And I think they're, they've grown our game and all of those type of things. It's interesting to hear that there is that big of a gap. And so hopefully that would shrink as we see Reeves on the floor more with those guys and then also get more of a sample. I think that's right. Like, I think to me, it's, purely just like variance on some level. Uh, part of it is like he needs to improve on defense, but I, I yes. think mostly it's variance. Uh, if I was the Lakers, I would be starting uh, Austin Reeves, LeBron and Anthony Davis. And I think I would probably start next to them. I would probably start Vanderbilt honestly like it probably would be Russell I guess okay uh but I wouldn't mind Russell as like the bench guy to me the 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 name that like I would love like I would really love it if Max Christie would like figure it out because like he's kind of the person that makes an awful lot of sense for them to be able to come off the court and like knock down threes and play defense and do things. But like he hasn't been able to get that together yet. Cause he's still, I think 20 or 21 years old. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I like the idea. So someone brought up Rui, like Rui's a bust. I don't care what contract he got. Like I wouldn't have paid Rui that much money, but I think Rui can be like an effective bench scorer for them. Like if, if you could bring in, like if you could bring in Rui Russell and like have LeBron run second units, that's probably fine to me uh like to me like that makes a lot of sense uh someone brought up cam reddish in the comments like i I think that the bloom is kind of worn off of that rose to start the season uh he's back to shooting under 30 percent from three he's he's just not consistent enough unfortunately uh yeah look like this I, i will say this why are the lakers bad right now or why are they 500 is the big overarching question we're asking i think the answer is twofold a i think that their group of like five through ten six through ten whatever you want to call it you know their minimum signings just did not work out right like these guys it's a struggle like torian prince has been able to knock down shots but like for the most part i think these guys have not really been all that effective this season. Christian Wood has not been all that effective. Jackson Hayes has not been all that effective. Max Christie, you know, is a draft pick, hasn't really been able to work it in. Jalen Hutchifino was always a bit of a project, I thought, coming in as a younger freshman. Gabe uh, Vincent only played five games. 
Gabe Vincent got hurt. Injuries are another big, big factor here. Uh, the other piece of it is like, I, I think that Darvin Ham has really hindered them in terms of his rotations and not l- given things enough time to like work itself out. Every time I watch them, I feel like it's something new for them. Yep. And it's impossible to get in any sort of rhythm. Uh, I, I have not been a big fan of the Darvin Ham experience, even with them like going forward and winning in the playoffs. Uh, I, I thought that. I don't want to say they did in spite of him because I thought he made some good adjustments throughout the playoff run, but like we're on what probably 18 months or so of him being the coach. And I would say that, you know, 13, 14 of those months have not been all that positive. Yeah, no, I think what you said is right in terms of, I remember what we were talking about, you know, kind of grasping at straws. We were talking about this a couple episodes ago and that's what it seems like right now. And, I understand that to an extent, right? Like if you don't think it's working, then maybe you want to try something different and switch it up. But eventually you got to just, you got to lock something in and grow with it. And in my opinion, I just think Reeves in the starting lineup, the low off the bench always made more sense to me because I just thought Reeves made more sense with those guys. I know. And then D low off the bench. It makes a lot of sense if, if Gabe Vincent is there, it makes a lot more sense. But even D'Lo off the bench, like let him be the guy that just goes in and cook like off the bench in a second unit. He can be a little bit more of the player I think he wants to be where Austin just fits in as a really good player around LeBron and AD. And so I thought that made sense. But yeah, in general, the roster is still flawed based on all the things you said. Some of these guys weren't as good as they thought. They didn't really hit on any of the, you know. The, the low hang not not low hanging fruit but the, the, the cam guys. reddish the minimum guys yeah the cam reddishes the christian woods those guys like i'm still a colin castleton guy i still would love to see him get a chance at some point i thought maybe he would get you know in the mix and get a chance but uh, I, i'd give him a shot over like the christian wood jackson hayes at this point for sure that, yeah and so that's what I'm, like but they just they haven't hit on any of those none of those guys like torian's probably the best just because he's shooting 40 percent from three right now so you've mix and match the lineups and then none of those guys is hit like now it's okay what can you do I think this falls into the front office's hands just in terms of you got to do something to improve the roster because it really does not like as much as I believe in Austin Reeves I don't know that those three together with a little bit of Rui playing okay those type of things is going to get it done I think they have to go make a move and bolster this thing somehow I think they have to make a move as well um the the name that has always made the most sense for me is uh DeRozan uh, I, I think that he makes more sense just with their salary structure than Zach Levine. Like if they could get like DeRozan and Caruso and just give up like all of the young players and like interesting assets that they have, that's probably the one that lines up best is DeRozan and Caruso. But I don't, I don't think the Bulls are going to move Caruso. So I, I think that like it's just going to depend on what DeMar wants from this season, right? Like, is, are the bulls going to be like, Hey, you know, we're willing to send you to a contender or are they just going to give him an extension? I don't know the way that that's going to work out, but I, I think the need, the Lakers need more offensive juice and more offensive creation uh, in today's NBA. And it, it particularly, I think needs to come from the wing. Yep. Uh, somebody with like maybe a little bit more size, I think, because I think you can run Austin at point. You can obviously run LeBron at the point. Uh, I think it needs to be somebody with a little bit more size. Yep. I agree with that. Uh, 
any other names like stand out to you for them? Like, it's kind of hard for me to, <clears throat> it's hard for me to pinpoint like everything there. I always try to go back to the names. There's not a name that stands out from our trade deadline primer. Yeah. Other than like DeRozan, as you already brought up. And obviously then if they could somehow, you know, get Caruso. I, I do think like, I think Gordon Hayward would help them. Like you okay, brought yeah, up yeah, Gordon yeah, Hayward yeah. a couple times. Like Gordon Hayward would help them. Again, I, I'm like a little bit skeptical the Hornets are going to move Gordon Hayward personally, but we'll see if they do. It, like he's obviously a name that needs to be considered here. What about just Buddy Hill, just the floor spacing? I know he doesn't fit everything you're yeah. talking about. Would be helpful, but like, what what are the Pacers getting back? Like, are the Pacers thinking? Well, what okay, are they going to do trading... with him though? Like, they've kept him. This now he's not even starting. At least the last, I mean, the, the last couple times, like it's like Nebhard is starting next to Halley. and so, I mean, what 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 what's going to be the market? Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's like an enormous market for Buddy. Um, but like his, the, the thing with buddy for them is that he's a big expiring contract for them to yeah, go yeah. out and make like a real move, like to go get somebody who can really play. So I, I don't know that like you can move buddy in that way. It, it's yeah, it, it's, it's hard. It, it's they're in a, the Lakers are in a really tough spot right now. They need to get a little bit creative or they just need to hope like the bulls just move them to Rosen. And, and I think that like you could do like DeRozan for D'Angelo Russell and Rui, I think is pretty close. Um, and that's a December 15th or later move. If I remember correctly, because I think that both of those guys are ineligible to be traded because they saw re signed deals uh, after being traded in the off season. So I think it's January 15th until either of them can be moved. Um, someone brought up DeJounte Murray from, from Atlanta. Um, honestly, like not the guy I would go for, but an interesting fit. That's, that's better next to Reeves than some of the other conversations we've had around DeJounte, right? Because we yeah. talked about DeJounte next to Trey and next to Brunson doesn't make as much sense. Cause you want to keep the ball in those guys' hands. Austin is a guy who, yeah, you want to let him have the ball in his hands at times, but can obviously play off of DeJounte. And DeJounte is really good defensively. Like, so it helps out in that regard as well. Uh, I don't, I, get, I will say the, the defense for DeJounte this year has been not as, not as impactful, not as, not as, um, not as engaged. Let's go with <laughs> there. There are moments where he can still turn it up, but like he hasn't been quite as engaged, I yeah. think. Um, but yeah, like someone, someone brought up CJ McCollum. Like I really like CJ McCollum. I don't know that. I don't know yeah, if New Orleans would need to do that, but I like CJ. I, I don't think, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think New Orleans going to move CJ. Um, you know, what would Atlanta's reason be for moving DeJounte? Do they want to avoid the tax next year because they're bad? Yeah. Like that. That's really it. Uh, could you get Jalen hood um, you know, in a first round pick for DeJounte or something? And it, it is that better than what they could get from somebody else like the Knicks? Cause apparently the Knicks have interest in DeJounte. So it's all about just like finding whether or not the Lakers have enough to get the guys. I still think DeMar makes the most sense. And none of the me. Nets guys are really good enough offensively <clears throat> to get you excited. You know, like, right, like we were talking about Dorian Finney Smith and some of those guys for other teams, but for the Lakers, Dorian Finney Smith, yeah, it doesn't do it as much. They're not moving Cam Johnson. We talked about Mikel. Like, even like the Hawks, 
they have some interest, but like those guys don't score it well. They're not moving Jalen Johnson, obviously. So you're they're not going to move. Like Sadiq doesn't score it well enough. DeAndre Hunter. If, if you could get Malcolm Brogdon. Okay, that's somewhat interesting to me. Like a little bit interesting. Um, again, like the Blazers are rebuilding, so they probably wouldn't mind a pick or like a younger player like that. It's an interesting name, at least. Um, all right. Do you have anything else on the Lakers before we get done here? Nah. Okay. So let's zoom through these uh, first impressions from the Ananobi Barrett Emmanuel quickly deal. So you watched the Knicks game, uh, OG Ananobi's first game. They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves 112 to 106. What was your impression of the way that Ananobi fit within their uh, offense and defense? Yeah, I mean, there was one very impactful defensive possession. I think it was against Ant where he ended up, you know, stayed in front, was able to slide, forces a turnover. I think it led to a Julius Randle transition finish. And then he hit a huge corner three-pointer, which is something OG's really good at. So I I thought it was fine, the the early returns on it. I I found myself with some questions in terms of the overall rotation with the Knicks now without IQ. Like, where does the offense come off the bench? Who's the backup point guard? for the team I have my answer for that I don't think it's the popular one because nobody else seems to talk about the guy when they talk about the trade but I'm at least going to mention it before we completely move on from this but I also think what I liked about this with OGs I watched this I said they still have all the assets to make another move and they still do I think need to make another move to make be like a true title contender but I thought it looked okay Um, I'm interested where again the bench scoring and then they lost like 10 or so three-point attempts a game with those two guys in Barrett and IQ. So where does that come as well? You know, OG shoots threes, but I think defensively he's really going to help them with what he does on the wing. And then real quick, like the other thing was Hardenstein was really good in this game. So I think that helped their defense be good as well. So just, just a couple of quick things that stood out to me. I saw that after the game, um, OG Ananobi basically told some of the guys on the team, like, Hey, I don't really know like what the plays are yet. I don't really know like, you know, everything that's going on. So I'm just going to spot up and I'm going to cut, you know, I'm I'm just going to like try and attack the rim that way and make things work that way. Um, I thought he was really, really effective at doing that. Like I would love to see him do that more. I thought that later on for the Raptors, he probably got a little bit less active as a cutter. Uh, and that's a way that like he can really impact the rim. Like OG and Anobi this year in half court situations is shooting like 53% from the rim. And in part, it's because most of his possessions come in on ball situations at the basket, uh, where he's like driving toward the rim, trying to create in ball screens. I love the idea of him, you know, playing off the ball, cutting, trying to put pressure on the rim that way, especially if they are willing to play Hartenstein out high, play Randall, um, you know, as the spot up player that like he often plays as, I think that could be like a really, really effective usage of OG Ananobi. And I liked seeing that in the first game defensively. I thought he was really good. Obviously. Uh, I also like, this is something I didn't think a ton about when the trade happened, I will say, but I really like the idea of the lineup flexibility. He gives them of being able to shift Randall down to the five because yep. what you need to be able to do that is you need like an enormous fucking human being at the four. Uh, Randall will be fine on the glass. He's a great rebounder. It's 
rim protection and it's just like having length and like size out there. Ananobi really brings that. And I wonder if that could really unlock a lot of things. They actually have like a really, really flexible way in the front court now that they didn't previously have to attack opposing teams. Because like when it was RJ, when it was Josh Hart, guys moving down to the four, they just weren't all that big. And and like Josh Hart's a phenomenal, unbelievable guard rebounder and he helps control things that way. But he's just not quite big enough and like doesn't cover quite enough ground in my opinion. So I think that OG gives them a lot more lineup flexibility if Tibbs is willing to do it. Like Tibbs loves having a center out there. We'll see if he's willing to consistently go small, right? Uh, Not consistently, but like semi-regularly go small, right? Uh, If he's willing to do that, like this, this is a deal that has some real, real potential to have an impact. Well, I think even if they don't go completely small, just having like there's who's the true backup four man on the roster as you look through it. I don't know that there's a guy that you really pinpoint. So I think just in that regard, even if it's not like true small ball with Julius at the five, being able to do that with OG gives you something, gives you someone that's better at it than Barrett or Josh Hart. And like you said, that's no slide on Hart, one of the best rebounders in the NBA from his position. But that wasn't something I really thought of whenever the trade happened and I was trying to decide on different things. I was kind of looking more bigger picture things of, you know, which one of between IQ and OG is this better for of to expand their offensive game? Who's going to get the bigger contract? You know, all of the stuff you've already talked about and we'll talk about more as you mentioned earlier. So this was one of those little more nuanced things that all of a sudden came to light as you watch them play. And it's like, as you said, this is going to be a really important variable of all of this, especially until another move is made or, you know, the off season OG, just giving them that lineup versatility. I love guys that give you lineup versatility. And so that's really vital or excuse me, really important, really valuable. Yeah. And vital. I think once you get to the playoffs for sure, uh, that's really all I've got in them. I thought Achua really struggled. Uh, obviously Malachi Flynn didn't play. Uh, we'll see where that goes uh, yeah. for those guys long-term just real quick. I, I think Malachi is going to get the, the I, I think eventually he'll be the backup point guard there. I think Malachi's good. I think he's a better fit in New York than what he was in Toronto. Just with some of the things he does, I've always been sold on Malachi. Now as like a starting NBA point guard. I'm not like going crazy. Like he's just been completely jobbed in Toronto. I didn't think he fit well in Toronto, Sam, but yeah. I, I just, I remember watching him, at summer league his first year and just like man he's way better than everybody here or maybe it was the second but i just think he can go in there and i think he can do i think tibbs will end up liking him i think he's underrated as just a tough kid i think he plays defense i think he can navigate ball screens and if malachi knocks down shots i think he ends up kind of winning that backup job against deuce mcbride and i know people will point to the contract that deuce just got and all those things and and deuce is good defensively that contract's not so good that you have to be, he has to be the backup point guard. Like it's not so rich that they can't justify still playing Malachi. So Malachi's dealing with an ankle right now. We'll see how this plays out after a couple more games, a few more days, but I, I don't think it's, it's not the headline by any means. I just have listened to a lot of people not even mention, like they've mentioned, Oh, precious is going to be huge in this, like an underlying thing. I think if you're going to mention mention Precious, I think Malachi at least needs mentioned as somebody that could be in the rotation. Yeah, I think he very well could be in the rotation. He just needs to get healthy at the end of the day. I think that the contract they gave Deuce McBride signals very clearly that they're going to give Deuce some leash to be able to play backup point guard. 
uh, and we'll see whether or not that's able to happen. Sure. Okay. Uh, the Raptors now. The Raptors ended up beating the Cleveland Cavaliers. I forget what the final was. I think it was like 126, 123, something like that. I really want to start with Barrett, actually. I think quickly is way more important long-term um, than RJ is for this deal. But I loved the process, I guess. Um, I thought the process looked way better for Barrett in Toronto than it did in New York. It felt like the Knicks sometimes like tried to push the issue with Barrett and like would run him on the ball a lot. And like the second units, particularly like it was IQ and Barrett, like on the ball all the time with Toronto in this first game. I think it was something like he had like four transition buckets or attempts. He had an offensive rebound put back. He had like a spot. He had two spot up three attempts. He had, what was it? Like a, he had like one cut maybe like it, it was just a lot more like process oriented having him play as an off ball wing, get him moving a little bit, let him be like a downhill force. He turned the ball over five times. Like I'm not going to sit here and say like RJ played like a perfect game. It just felt a little bit cleaner to me from a process perspective where they didn't try and like force on ball reps into it. That was interesting because that makes me feel better about my notes because I, I feel like Barrett's a little bit streaky. Like I think it was the Christmas Day game where he came in, in out. In general, he, that's absolutely true. Like yeah. he just came in and he just like crushed, I believe, in the first quarter or something. And then it, you know, slowed a little bit from there. And so I kind of had that in my notes, like, okay, this works because he's next to Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. And then he can just kind of do those things when he needs to off of those guys. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, but he had Brunson and Julius Randle to do that off of in New York. So why wasn't the same thing? So you talking about it in that light makes it make a little more sense why it just seemed to look better as I was watching the game. He did have a couple pretty bad mistakes late in the game. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how this plays out around those guys. And so, you know, what I like about their lineup is they still have plenty of length you know, with Barrett, Barnes, and Siakam on the wing. You know, OG obviously is really good defensively, but you still have, you know, those three guys. Not that yeah. Randall's in that category defensively, but he has gotten better of just that length, rangy wings that you can use matching up with all those different, you know, all the good wings around the league. Yeah, and the other piece of it is, I think quickly is also a really, really good help defender. He always yep. has been in New York. Like, frankly, it was the defensive side of the court was a big reason why I thought he was the sixth man of the year last year. He is a really, really impactful defensive player. He's always on time rotationally. He uses his length well. Um, he scrambles across the court really, really well. Plays on the ball like at a, a little bit lesser of a level than that. Like, I always think he's a little bit better off the ball than I do on the ball. But he's a solid on ball defender. He's not like a bad one by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and overall, the impact, I think, is quite positive from him. And honestly, the defensive side of the court was kind of what impressed me most with quickly in that game. I, I thought he was really quite good on defense. Well, I think it's going to be important for him to be good defense. I know they have Schroeder to like do take some of these matchups, but if they're going to start this lineup, quickly is going to take a lot of tough matchups because I don't know that you want Barnes chasing around the Steph Curry's of the world and the oh, no, he, he can't do it. Yeah. Like Sc Scotty, the way that they're using Scotty this year is great. Like they're using him Off like is a free safety, like help defender, like kind of letting him, you know, play the back line a little bit more. And I think that's really, really smart. Um, 
yeah, he can't do like the on ball stuff yeah. as good so, as Scotty is. And so IQ is going to have to do some of that at times with some of those matchups. But I think I'm most interested to see where quickly takes his offensive game with the Raptors. You know, I've, I've listened to the podcast. You had the instant reaction kind of one that you did. And I don't know like where I am on who's the better player right now between OG and IQ, but I think there's a, I think there's a real, I think I have a real belief that IQ's offensive game just has a whole other level that we haven't seen yet. And I'm really interested to see if it happens or not. You know, how much can he, he's got to improve as a passer in some regards as well, but I just, I'm interested to see that. And so, um, and then I'm interested to see what he gets paid too. I think that's a huge part of all of this is what does OG's contract look like? What does IQ's contract look like this offseason? But I think IQ could look, you know, offensively can look really good in, in this role. And, you know, who knows if Toronto's done or not as well, right? And I, I know Siakam is almost more of a name now that this first trade was made, everybody anticipating the next domino to fall. So if that would happen, then IQ takes on an even bigger offensive load if they do move Siakam. Yeah, and Woj brought up um, the fact that they're going to like give this little bit of runway, maybe, um, to see how this works with Siakam. We'll talk about all this a little bit more with Samson Folk yep. on Friday in the United States. Um, we we want to kind of dive deep into a few different uh, things with the Raptors. And they are, again, as we've seen already, the team that holds all the cards at the deadline. So our, our now yearly check-in with Samson Folk on what's going on with the Raptors uh, is going to be really fun. Okay. It's time now to transition into NBA draft prospect of the week. Uh, our segment here where Bryce and I can finally talk about draft again, which is what we really, really love doing. Uh, and today we're going to talk about Jared McCain is our NBA draft prospect of the week, a six foot three ish, six foot two and a half, something like that guard for Duke who plays off the ball and is a really, really fun, uh, offensive mind as much as anything and an unbelievable shooter. And we'll talk about that, I think above all in this conversation, but we'll probably also touch on some of the other Duke prospects like Kyle Filipowski, like uh, Tyrese Proctor, maybe some Caleb Foster, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'll give you the floor, Bryce. What are your thoughts on Jared McCain? Yeah. I mean, you asked me about McCain, like, Hey, do you want to talk about him? And I'm like, yeah. And you asked me just a little bit like the jumper is, so good it's so compact there's guys you just watch him shoe and you're like i'm buying it I, I buy the jumper i buy the way it looks the difference with mccain is the numbers also back it up he's shooting 47 percent from three on almost five attempts he's 90 percent from the free throw line low volume there but this kid can flat out shoot it every single game i'm watching the jumper is pure the jumper is real he's able to do it off the bounce i think he has at least real two level scoring potential at some point i assume we'll talk about how well he finishes at the rim in the game on tuesday night against syracuse i thought he got into the lane i thought he got to the rim but you saw some struggles with the actual finishing but i buy him even at his size being able to rise up stop and then again just this compact in a phone booth mid-range jumper and he has this like subtle off-ball relocation he can shoot the no dip catch and shoot all of those different things. So when we talk about prospects, a lot of times you want to start with what is their superpower? What is the elite skill they have? The nice thing with Jared McCain is you don't have to look very far to find that. Some guys it's like, oh, well, they're really good at this. They're really good at that. But I don't know what their 
NBA ready skill is. Jared McCain, in my opinion, is an NBA ready off ball, you know, three point shooter. Yeah. And it's the different ways that he can get there. That is impressive to me personally. Uh, like he will run off of movement and take a three, like off of an inbounds play. Uh, he did that once against Queens, uh, over the weekend. If I remember correctly, is that game? I watched it last night. Um, you know, he drills just like a three in a spot up situation, you know, out of a pass from Kyle Filipowski, uh, you know, underneath the basket. He will relocate. Uh, he'll take like a, you know, corner three point attempt in the right corner. Somebody closes out on him hard, left pound dribble, gets into it perfectly. It's the shot versatility, something that like JJ Reddick talks about pretty regularly, something that like a lot of great shooters, I think Cam Johnson brought it up on JJ Reddick's podcast uh, over the summer. The ability to get into your shot from different footworks, from different uh angles taking passes from different places on the court uh finding your rhythm when you don't have rhythm i think that mccain is an expert at finding his rhythm when he might not necessarily always have rhythm as a shooter uh just immediately from catching and shooting right i'm glad you brought up the no dip threes i think that's a big thing uh against queens he attacked a closeout for just like a sweet little mid-range jumper that i thought was impressive um you know, he had a play against Queens as well, where like he got the ball in transition, went downhill, attacked with like three consecutive crossovers at speed under control, still got to the basket, made a shot at the rim. Um, and then against Syracuse, he made four threes in that game. Uh, had like a really nice, like baseline drift pass, I thought, to Jeremy Roach on a drive and kick. Uh, just a sweet pull up transition three. Uh, that was beautiful, like a stop and pop. And then he had this like nice little up and under drive in the first half that I thought was really nice too. That kind of showcased some of the footwork, some of what he's capable of on the court. Just a, a really, really, really impressive uh, offensive package of skills for Jared McCain. And the, the thing that I want to bring up with him specifically that I really like, in addition to the shooting, I think he's an expert at understanding offensive space both for himself and for his teammates. I think he really understands, okay, if my teammates are here, I'm going to be most dangerous if I'm here. Uh, if I'm driving this way, the most effective place for my teammate to drift is going to be that way to the corner, and I'm going to be able to hit uh, like Jeremy Roach for a three, like I mentioned a second ago. I think he just really has like an awesome, innate understanding of – offensive space and how to utilize that offensive space best on the court. Well, and I think shooting off ball shooting relocation is a really underrated skill, especially for yeah. this archetype of player. As I watch these guys more in depth and some of the other stuff I do, it's just one of those things that I think this type of player has to be elite at that. And it's not always Sam for them to get the shot, it keeps good spacing within the offense. And so yeah. like, it's not just for shooters to be able to get the shot themselves. It's also just to keep that great floor spacing, ball moving, all of those different types of things for their offense overall. Well, and th this was the Bryce Simon at American University role too. Like, this is what Bryce Simon did. He knows this role well as the spot up shooter. 
yeah, it's spot up. Uh, movement is uh, <laughs> not a good term to use with me in terms of my shooting. It was catch in the corner and shoot it and don't relocate. Don't we, we ran set after set after set. Like there wasn't a whole lot of free flow. So it was like, go to this spot, set this screen, run off this screen, those type of things with my guy, coach Jeff Jones, who real quick shout out. He's doing well. He had a heart attack recently. He's the head coach at old dominion, but he, he's on the mend. And so shout out coach Jones. Um, change me in, into the man that I am. So appreciate him. Sorry. didn't mean to go down that road, but yeah, I, I, shooting relocate. Like I love evaluating shooters because of that, because there's so much more nuance. This is why I fell in love with Jordan Hawkins is because yeah. people just thought Jordan Hawkins was a good shooter. It's like, no, there was so much more to what Jordan Hawkins did. It's like, well, they're running all this stuff for him. Yeah. Well, he has to use those screens effectively. He has to have the right left footwork and the left right footwork and the shot fake one dribble sidestep and all of these different nuanced things. You can't dip it down to your knee and then bring it up on every single attempt. And so seeing McCain be able to do some of these things as a freshman is really impressive because he's making them at such a high clip as well. Well, and this is why you and I both thought Jordan Hawkins was a better shooter in last year's draft than like Grady Dick. Right? Like, and and yes. I like Grady Dick enough. Like I had him, I think at like 16, 17, something like that. But like that, that exact thing right there is why we thought Jordan Hawkins was just like a better shooter. Now let's talk about the questions with Jared McCain. Okay, hold, uh, I want to say real quick, you talked about like the, the ball coming bad passes and stuff. I just wanted one real quick. I, I get to do credential stuff for Pistons games at times. Corey Joseph, really not known as a shooter, but I thought it was really interesting. His pregame workout, they would purposely throw him bad passes, like get him off his yeah. spot. So he practiced that in pregame of catching up here, catching a bad one that double bounced, catching one down at his toes. And so I just wanted to give that real quick antidote from just the games I have got to watch these warmups. I've sat right there and watched it. And, and that speaks to what you were talking about, being able to shoot off balance, off platform, yeah. bad passes, those type of things. Sorry, just wanted to mention that real quick. No, it's absolutely right. Like NBA shooting workouts are bonkers. Like if you go to a game pregame, like some of the stuff they do, because they're trying to prepare for like specific things that happen in game. Uh, McCain in terms of the questions. So he's like six foot two, six foot three, something yeah. like that. And he's a shooting guard that is not like a nuclear athlete. Uh I would say that like I have questions about him as like a pick and roll, like yes. pull up creator. Yep. Which if you're going to be like a high level six foot two scoring guard, that's probably where you need to like get a majority of your opportunities from is like pull up opportunities like that. Uh, you need to be like a real combo who can like create shots at a high level. Yep. It's almost more like a Seth Curry role to me. That was the comp a, I had. Yeah, that, that's the name that stands out to me. Yeah, I, I just, it was the last thing in my notes from the game I watched this morning against Syracuse. I, I, he, I didn't love the ball screen usage. There wasn't anything real creative. It seemed like a lot of them, he'd get the ball screen and then he'd just pass it out. And so, yeah, I agree with you 100%. He's got to be able, he's not going to be a primary initiator. Like he's not going to be a point guard. That's not going to be his game. But if he's going to be a scorer, he's got to be able to do at least a little bit with the ball in his hands in those situations. And I know as Dirty Dancer brings up, I know people don't like the 6-2 off ball guy guys but the reason i buy into at least a couple every year and i still don't know where i stand on who those guys are there's a lot of jumbo creators in the league now where you can play these guys off of those and floor spacing is a super important 
you know, value add to NBA teams. I also, one thing I do like about him, cause you know, the defense, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. He is a sturdy kid. Like I feel like he's well yeah. built. Like he has a strong yep. lower half and that's important. Like you can play a little bit bigger than your quote unquote height and length and all of those. If you're you know, strong in the chest and you have the strong lower base. I'm not saying he's can guard three positions all of a sudden, but those things stand out to me as opposed to some of these skinny or slider frames that we see with guys. Yeah. So in, you know, Seth Curry as a player, right? Like that might not stand out as like a you know awesome name or anything, right? Seth Curry, if you go back to what draft was he, he would be 2013 if I remember correctly. Uh, if you go back to that draft, like Seth Curry is almost certainly one of the 30 best players to come out of that class. Uh, has played a decade in the NBA, still plays for Dallas, right? Uh, had a five-year stretch where he averaged 12 points while shooting 48, 44, 86. Uh, averaged 2.4, 2.3 assists per game. Uh, played on a couple of like quite good teams in that stretch as well, like for Philly, uh, he was, what was that? It was like 2020 Dallas. That was like a solid team more than like a great team. Uh, is that the team that I think they might've like pushed the Clippers if I remember correctly, uh, in the first round, but lost to the Clippers. Um, like he has had a really, really good stretch of his career that would put him like in the top 30 of that class, which is why to me, like, I think somebody like Jared McCain, is probably a top 30 player in this class. And I would say, you know, I've got Jared like right now, like in the like 20 to 22 range, something like that. Uh, I quite like what he is capable of as a potential floor spacer. And I think he is like a truly, truly like elite, elite shooter uh, that will be able to make that role work for him. Yeah, so like just quickly going through that draft class, which Curry was an undrafted free agent in, like I think we would pretty easily get him in the top 30 of a quote unquote redraft from the 2013 draft. Like, oh, pretty, that's the horrendous draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, 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 draft. There, yeah. There's, some, there's some names here um, that are a little tough, but I, I think we would. Yeah, like, like guys that you would have ahead of um, Oladipo, Otto Porter, um, probably Cody Zeller. Um, you know, KCP definitely, CJ, McCollum definitely, Adam, Adams definitely, KO, that's six, Giannis, seven, eight, Schroeder, nine, uh, Mason Plumley probably Plumlee, ten, I would say, Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock probably is above him defensively. No, I, I don't know if I would put Reggie on, above him, honestly, but they're in the same tier, let's say. Um, so even 12, Gobert. Rudy Gobert, 13. Uh, then there's like nobody in the second round. This second round, like Muscola is like the only name in the still second in the, round that's yeah, in, still in the yeah. NBA, I think. Yeah. Alan Crabb, you know, got that enormous deal, obviously. Um, and then the undrafted guys, Della Vadova, that's 14, let's say, because I think Delhi would be close to him. Tice would be 15, but Tice was like, not on the radar really at that you're point. getting him in the top i think there i think you could really make a legit argument for top 20 yeah i think he is a top 20 guy in that class and by the way this draft class kind of similar to the 20 2013 draft class in terms of you know overall strength so it's an interesting parallel 
I think, to draw. Uh, Jared's obviously a lot younger than Seth is, so it might take some more development time. But yeah, I, I think Jared is a real interesting player, and I think YouTube user brings up a good point. He sounds like a guy who could potentially help a good team as a deeper rotation guy early in his career. I think that's probably more the role uh, as opposed to like putting him on a lottery team and saying like, Hey, like, you know, you have to go figure shit out. Uh, defensively, what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, he's small. I, I think in the early game, I thought he was scrappy and disruptive. You know, yeah. he does average over three defensive rebounds. I thought he was in the right position. Uh, I don't know that there was anything that stood out to me where he's going to be like crazy impactful, I guess is the way yeah. I would put it. And at 6'2", if you're not crazy impactful with steals or disruption or like Kaysen Wallace, like this isn't even a fair comparison because Kaysen was ridiculous, but you know, Kaysen was smaller, but Kaysen was holding up in isolations and being disruptive and getting steals and all of these things. And that made him really enticing as a defensive player. McCain's not doing any of those things that I've seen as much. He does average a little over a steal a game, but because of that, with his size, he probably ends up being a net neutral would be best, in my opinion. If McCain can get to a net neutral defender in the NBA, I think that would be a huge win for him. Mm, let's move on from McCain and just talk generally Duke. Okay. Uh, I loved Tyrese Proctor's game against Syracuse. Like, Listen. I don't even care what the numbers are anymore. I just love his game. Like this is going to be a guy where I'm just going to stop looking at the percentages and and those type of things. And he is back. He's at 36% from three. I I just think he's really good at basketball. And I know you've been on the Proctor since the summer. He's, I I just watch him play. He he's really good. I think Proctor's really good. Yeah. In this game, Proctor had like a sick, like strung together a couple of crossovers, like between the legs into like a nasty drive, like inside hand layup. Uh, he had like a nasty little like wrap around, like backhand off of a drive to Mark Mitchell that I thought was nasty. Um, yes. Had like a really good help strip defensively. I think he's always really impactful defensively just with his length and um, engagement on that end. Um, he had a couple of crossovers uh, into like a pretty sick. Uh, what was it? It was, it was like a right plant, like, or no, left plant, like fade away, turnaround jumper, like in the middle of the paint, uh, going to his right. That was nasty. Uh, you know, he hit Mitchell off of a ball screen with Mitchell, like diving, like from a 45, uh, he drilled a catch and shoot three in transition. He had a pull up three out of a ball screen. Like he had like 14 points, a few assists. He, he was this was like the vision of what Tyrese Proctor can be, yeah. basically. And and he's he's the kind of the opposite or like where I was kind of going with McCain when I was talking. About, I think Proctor's jumper looks really good, and he just doesn't make as many as what I think he should. Now, at a certain point, guys are what their numbers are. You know, like I can't just keep saying, "Oh, the jumper looks good," and if he doesn't make it, then like we have to go with the numbers. So I, I understand people who don't want to hear that. I just think I buy the shot. I think it looks good. And I'm interested to see what it does in ACC play. But yeah, Proctor, he was a guy I started to move down my board. Like, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. And he's, he's going to keep moving up. Like sometimes I just get bored here over Christmas break because I'm not teaching. And so I just play around with my board, you know, quite a bit. Um, But no, I really like Proctor. 
And uh, Dirty Dancer brings up Kyle Filipowski's passing in the second half. Holy I think him. in general, like that's the differentiator I've seen for Filipowski this year. He's okay. been so better as a passer uh, when he gets doubles, when he gets like extra help. I think he has been just like so, so, so much better uh, finding his open teammates. And that, that's been why like I continue to have him as like a pretty clear top 20 pick in this class. Like the, the passing ability is a real value add for him. I think. Yeah, I think it was a few games ago. I just finally put I, I buy the passing, you know, essentially was my notes on that. And I think he can pass uh, yet another guy where I think the jumper is better than the numbers. But he's got I, I wish he was shooting 36, 37, 38 percent from three. And, and I think he would be, you know, a clear lottery guy. And maybe he still ends up being a lottery guy without it. But yeah, Filipowski's a guy I'm a fan of as well. I mean, it, it's why at times I have a hard time scouting or you know analyzing duke is they have all these different guys and you have to rewind every possession so many times to okay what did flip do on that possession what did proctor do where where was he off the ball why why didn't this help come who oh caleb foster's on the floor too mark mitchell all these different guys so that's uh sometimes it's hard to to watch them especially if the other team has any guys as well which syracuse does with i'm always interested to watch judah mins just because he's been a tough eval for me yeah so on defense what are your thoughts because i actually think flip is like pretty underrated on defense like i think he moves his feet better than he gets credit for i thought that was true last year even with the hip injuries uh you know the rim protection this year has been a little bit better i think but not wildly so i think he just has great hands and he has better feet than he gets credit for and like he can do more out there defensively than people think uh honestly like the comparison we brought up kelly olenic earlier it's a lot of that the thing is that like kelly became like a really high level shooter and flip is not that yet if flip can become like a really high level shooter he'll play in the nba for quite a long time i think yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to agree. I know people aren't going to like listening to us talk about NBA draft prospects if we agree on all of them. And, you know, based on some of our conversations pre-show, whenever we really get into this, we're not going to. Like, I promise everybody it's yeah. not going to be like this. But I, I don't have a whole lot to add based on what you said defensively. I, I don't think he's he's not elite. I don't even know that he's great, but I think he's better than what people will give him credit for. He's not making a living in the NBA based on his defense. He's another guy. If he can, as a big, if he can be above average – and then the offensive passing, the shooting, that type of stuff really comes around. Um, but yeah, I think he moves his feet a little bit better. Some of the the defensive, maybe he can give a little bit of um, variance with what he can do ball screen coverage wise. Maybe maybe he can allow a team to to play around with that a little bit. Yeah, someone brought up Mo Wagner. That's a good name. Like that's a fun name to me as well. And like Mo Wagner, I think that somebody like that is a first round pick in this class. To be honest, um, I think Flip has a little bit more. Uh, than Mo does just in terms of defense and passing and things like that. But yeah, like that's a, that's a really good name, I think as well. Like there are names that you can come up with. So, okay, Bryce, that's it. We're going to call it at an hour 45. Um, This went longer than I wanted it to because the Oklahoma city conversation went for probably 15 minutes longer than I wanted it to. It was its own episode, which they deserve. They absolutely deserve. They absolutely deserve it. Uh, Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. 
Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, if you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse. And then if you guys are interested in some more three-point shooting talk, I'm actually joining the coach Dave Love. If you guys aren't familiar with Dave Love, he's an NBA shooting coach. I'm going to join his podcast that he just started, and we're going to talk and dive into a bunch of shooting stuff. So um, that's not live, but you can find it on his YouTube or his Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to pods. And yeah, that's all I got. Everything else I do here with Sam on Game Theory. That's great. Uh, I love Bryce. Bryce is the best. Uh, go read all the stuff I wrote about the OG and Anobi uh, quickly Barrett deal over at The Athletic. I am kind of starting draft guide stuff already. So the writing um, will be there, but it will, you know, maybe not be as active for the next like week or so until I can like really get this thing going. I'm up to uh, this is this is a record, Bryce. I'm at like twenty five thousand words already on the draft guide. I feel good about it. I don't know how you write that much, man. I'm I'm so glad to be done for a while. As I was to trying be clear, to- I don't either. Like, so, let's be honest. <laughs> whenever I was first getting into the content creation world, I had to do writing to get my foot in the door with NBA draft stuff, even with piston stuff. Some of the other things I do, there was a lot of writing. I was also do- getting my masters. And I was just so tired of it. Finally got to a point in content creation. I don't have to write anymore. Finished <laughs> off my master's, my non-media stuff I do with, with all of this. I don't have to write there anymore. Everything's video, talking, those type of things. I could not be happier. I hate writing so much. So big shout out to you for, I hope everybody appreciates the work, the, the amount of time it takes for you and, and the amount of words you write to, to do all of that. It is indeed a very large, uh, very large endeavor that is fun. And I sort of enjoy it uh, while hating it uh, regularly. But I'm far enough ahead this year where I feel like I am in a good position. Bryce, uh, that's all I've got. I think that we'll be back on Friday with Samson Folk. I will talk to him about the Raptors and deadline stuff and what all of this looks like moving forward for them. That's all I've got, though. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.